So I'm kind of surprised that I'm the first one that gets to say this because a lot of times Christy or somebody else has maybe said this already. Uh, well, this is our first Easter in person, so I guess no one has set a precedent. But uh, in the like, history of the church, typically there was just a saying that I would say or someone would say, he is risen, and then the response would be, he is risen indeed. So he is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, one more time. He is risen Yes, that's true, true. Um, and we, we can say that confidently. We can say that confidently, and we, we can not just say that with our voices, but we can say that with our hearts, we can say that with our mind, we can say that with our soul, we can say that with our strength, and you might not be there right now. And you might say, hey, I don't want to be fake in here. Uh, I don't want anybody to play church. Like, life is too important for anybody to play at church. So if, if your heart is not there right now, I just want to let you know, um, like, that's okay. You are welcome to be here for as, as long as you need to be here considering the claims of Jesus. Uh, consider us your family. We would, we would love for you to jump into life here, for us to come alongside each other. Um, you might maybe believe that he is risen, but maybe you're not sure if that really makes much difference in your life. Maybe it's like, yeah, I think I, I agree with those things, but I'm, I'm not sure really how that affects me. And my prayer for each of us this morning is that every single soul in this room, that we would spend the rest of our lives basking in the beauty that he is risen. And no matter where we're at with our relationship with Jesus, um, I just want to say thank you for being here. Thanks for gathering. Thank thank you for being in this room. Uh, We feel really honored uh, for everybody to be here. Um, it's, it's, it's truly worth celebrating Jesus is alive. And there are many ways that we could actually know that Jesus is alive. We can truly know that he has risen. And we're going to look at three, three for, for a little, we're going to spend a little bit of time here looking at three ways that we can know that he is alive. Uh, the first two, we're going to look kind of briefly at the first two. We can spend a lot more time, but we're going to look briefly at the first two, and then we're going to spend some time on the third one. So first, one of the ways that we can know Jesus has risen from the grave is we can see it in Scripture. We can see it in Scripture. I, I have a buddy that was an ardent atheist, took great pride in his intellectual atheism. And one day he was hanging out with his friends and he was just like, like feeling like he was just throwing all of these claims to, to his group of friends. And this lady one day challenged him. His name was Hirsch. And this lady challenged Hirsch and said, hey, if you think you're so wise, why don't you actually read the book that you're shooting down right now? I don't think you've actually read it. So would you actually read it? And uh, so my friend Hirsch took her up on the challenge and he started reading the Bible. And as he read it, he was convinced these are the words of God. This is true. And he was humbled. Hirsch, he had a lot of pride that his thoughts were the most true thoughts on earth. 
We can all be that way sometimes, you know. But, but Hirsch just kind of across the board, my thoughts are the truest thoughts on earth. And as he read scripture, he was humbled that God's thoughts are the truest thoughts on earth. And, uh, and so uh, Hirsch gave his life to Jesus. And when I met him in seminary, um, that lady who challenged him, was his wife. <laughs> they ended up getting married, and uh, a weird, weird coincidence was he actually uh, pastored in Marshalltown for a little while, several years back. Um, so scripture, a beauty of scripture is it is God's revelation to us of the most important things that we can't miss. That's his love towards us. We can all be Sherlock Holmes and walk around and be like, let me observe the universe and I'll tell you who God is. God's like, I don't want to risk it. My word to you is so that you can know the most important things that must be known by humans. So we can know, we can know, we can know that Jesus defeated death by seeing it in Scripture. A second way we can know that Jesus has risen from the grave is we can see it in people's lives. We can see it in people's lives. If you get to know the people who are sitting in this room, if you get to know the stories of the people who are sitting in this room, our island of misfit toys, <laughs> that I like to think of us because uh, I think it's true, at least when I look in the mirror it feels true, is that you will see that Jesus is alive. He's alive when we look around the room. You will see lives that are being changed in a way that only makes sense if he is alive and well and on the move in our community, in our lives. And so I do invite you to come back next week. And this is not like just like a bait and switch. This is a, a big part of next week is us allowing some people who both recently and maybe in the past, but many people who recently have had Jesus radically break into their lives, have given their lives to Jesus, are now going to share their stories and be baptized. And, uh, and it will be an incredible highlight and worth celebrating. <laughs> There's a lot in the last year and a half that is not worth celebrating. Seeing Jesus on the move in people's lives is worth celebrating. And so we, we yes, <laughs> I agree. John, was that you? Praise Jesus, man. Get to know him and his wife next to them, and you will see that Jesus is alive. Um, so people will share their stories of what Jesus is doing right now in their lives, and you can see it for yourself. Um, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus right now, and maybe you'll meet him today and be baptized next week. And that would be amazing. So we are expecting the Lord to do that because he is alive and well and he's on the move. So, um, so that would be, be next week and that would be wonderful to see. So we see it in scripture that Jesus is alive. We can see it in people's lives that Jesus is alive. And third, and we're gonna camp out here for a little while, is you can see it in history that Jesus is alive. You can see it in history. We can trust that the resurrection really happened through observing history. So a thought experiment. We all leave Iowa for a little bit. I know it's gonna be painful, but we, we all leave Iowa for a little while, and when we come back, my brother-in-law would love this. I don't think anybody else in the room would love this, but when we come back, 
everybody is wearing corn husker clothing. All the cars have those little flags in the windows with the N, the red N, okay? Barns that used to have cyclones, Hawkeyes, have this fresh coat of paint, Cornhusker. We drive to Ames. We drive to Iowa City. Surely, Ames. Surely, Iowa City. And we drive in there, Cornhusker gear for sale, street corners. I think our first reaction after throwing up a few times, our first reaction, I think, would be, what happened? What happened while we were away? We even then start learning that the city councils in Ames and in Iowa City are furious. So furious. And while we're gone, they actually made it a crime to support the Cornhuskers. You'll lose your house if you put that in the front yard. And even with these and other tough, just crazy penalties, the Cornhuskers continue to spread like wildfire in a heavy wind throughout all of Iowa. And we'd have to be like, what happened? Something happened. How could all of Nebraska's enemies make such a radical switch to be Nebraska lovers? Something huge had to happen to change those hearts in such a crazy way. So with that in mind, thought experiment, do the, okay, it's over, it's gone, let it fall off, okay? But with that in mind, let's take a look at the time of the crucifixion. At the time that Jesus uh, is on the cross, he has ministered for three years and has just died. How's it going? How's it going for him? How's it going for what he's been about? Well, still, Jesus' brothers and sisters still think he's kind of crazy. Maybe think that he's the kid that didn't get quite as much as what the rest of the family got. And they believe at the time of his death that he was not the Savior and that he was not who he said he was. His brothers and sisters. His disciples... The closest, his, his special forces unit, you know, the ones that were going to take the world. His disciples, at the time of his death, all desert him. And on top of that, on top of that, the message of Christianity, the message that he was proclaiming, was the worst message that a PR firm could have created if you were trying to reach Romans, Greeks, and Jews, the people of that time period. If you're like, hey, let's do some synthetic thing to like get some organization off the ground so that we can have a lot of power in the society, it'd be like, well, let's not do that. The Romans and the Greeks believed in the pantheon of gods. The Romans and the Greeks believed in the pantheons of, of gods. God would never be a homeless man in the small provincial region of Galilee. <laughs> Him over there in Galilee, a homeless guy? You want the Romans and the Greeks to walk away from the pantheon of gods to follow him? And God would never, never stoop so low to be like that. God would never stoop that low, they'd think. And God would never be so easily defeated. 
He would never publicly be beaten so bad. Have you, have you heard of Zeus? <laughs> have you heard of Hercules? And you're thinking I would walk away from that to follow that? His followers have deserted him, and Greeks and Romans would naturally reject Jesus at the sight of the crucifixion. Now, on top of that, Jews, on the other hand, spent their entire lives believing that there is one and only one God. That was Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema. That was, what they, that was their John 3.16. Hear, O Israel, God is one. Jesus then says he is from the Father, is equal with the Father, and the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. For the Jews, God would never defile himself to become a man. Never. Becoming fully human while telling us Jesus is also fully God. That in him, as Colossians tells us, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Very hard message for Jews to believe based on all of their upbringing and all of their knowledge of Scripture up to that point. So here we have at the time of Jesus' death that Jesus has been proclaiming a message that is so hard for Romans, Greeks, and Jews to believe. Even his followers have deserted him. Then something happens. Something happens that is way bigger than Iowa fans in mass, Iowa State fans in mass going to Nebraska. Something big happened that changed the course of the world that got Jews, Romans, and Greeks in droves while it was illegal, losing their homes, losing their jobs if they were going to give their lives to Jesus, to follow him wholeheartedly, believing Jesus to be the Savior, the world's Savior. Giving your life to Jesus, don't miss this, giving your life to Jesus was illegal for the first 300 years after the crucifixion across the entire Roman Empire. It was illegal. Many, many, many people lost their lives in very grotesque ways. It, it was as discouraged as whatever city councils could, could ever create to try to get people to not follow something. So giving your life to Jesus was illegal for the first 300 years after the resurrection. Guess how many people were believers by 300 AD under those circumstances? So what's interesting is, is sociologists have looked at this, have been able to trace writings, have, have done great research, and even atheist sociologists even atheist sociologists will say the number by 300 AD is somewhere north of 30 million people. 30 million people by 300 AD had said, I don't care what you do to me. I am giving my life to Jesus. My life is in his hands. The public resurrection of Jesus is what happened. Jesus is never hiding somewhere, hoping that we will find him. He's never hiding in the dark. He's actually has given us a well-lit path to follow him. He spent 40 days, 
4-0, 40 days publicly showing himself in Israel every day after his resurrection. Let me say that again. He spent 40 days on the ground in Israel after his resurrection, turning the world right side up. At times, he appeared to crowds of up to 500 people. You can start seeing how you could have 30 million people go all in for Jesus when there was pretty much nobody at the crucifixion and all that the world could throw at people to not follow him. How about the disciples? The 12 guys who deserted their best friend at his death, something happened to them too. All but two died brutal deaths as followers of Jesus. John was kept alive by God to write the book of Revelation. Judas Iscariot took himself out. The rest witnessed something that gave them the courage to burn brightly with Jesus as the center of their lives. Even James, the brother of Jesus. So at the time of the crucifixion, not believing any of it, James, the brother of Jesus, ends up writing one of the first books of the New Testament telling people that his brother is God. Something radical happened. It's a well-attested phenomenon. You can read even in in all sorts of medical journals, it's a well-attested phenomenon that people will not willingly die for a lie. Now, people like um, some religious extremists every day are dying for their faith. But remember their faith is not something that they can prove with 100% certainty. So people can be incredibly sincere, incredibly believing that they know for sure, but they don't know 100% for sure. The disciples are way different because they all knew for sure. And they, their default was already to be like, No, man, we're out. Tap out, tap out. Where do I tap? I'm tapping, I'm tapping. Like, that's how they were. And then they knew 100% for sure whether or not Jesus was alive. They, They knew it. Doubting Thomas didn't stay that way. Doubting Thomas actually went to India, pleaded with people to trust Jesus. He was eventually thrust through with spears and died in India because something happened. He wasn't doubting Thomas anymore. He was believing Thomas, martyr Thomas, Thomas who saw Jesus alive. He knew 100% that Jesus was alive. So we can see the resurrection happen by looking at scripture. We can see it in people's lives and we can see it all over history. So it's awesome to know that Jesus is alive. Just knowing though that the resurrection happened, just being like, okay, I'll give you that one. Did the resurrection happen? You give me a quiz, I'll say, true. It did happen. But that's not the goal. That isn't the end goal. We need the resurrection to have really happened, not just to prove some point, not just to win an argument. We need the resurrection to have really happened because we need Jesus alive today. We need him. We don't need him to answer some quiz. We need him. We need him alive right now. 
Why is that such a big deal for Jesus to be alive? Uh, we're gonna look, there's a lot of places we can look, but we're gonna look in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we've got some Bibles over here. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can just take it. It's yours. Um, but also, you can turn out your phones to 1 Corinthians 15, and then we'll also have the scripture on, on the TVs here. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 this morning. Making it clear why we need Jesus to be alive today. Starting verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15, the words will be on the screen. If Christ has not been raised, you, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus, as we see here, is of central importance. To the point that if Jesus is not alive right now, your faith is futile. I, we were, I was walking through this with my kids last night, and I was just like, give me some words for futile. We don't use that word very often. You know, they're like, worthless. And I, they said other things that was like really brilliant, and I can't remember them right now. But, but uh, our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins. We are still fully accountable for the separation that's between us and God due to our sin. What's beautiful, and it's always true in Scripture, and it's interesting to do, and I encourage you to do this as you read it, to say, okay, then what's the opposite of that? So if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, the inverse of this is true. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, if he did come back to the life, then to ascend to heaven, if he is alive and well, then our faith is powerful, and once again, I asked the kids, I was like, what's the opposite of futile? And they were like, amazing, you know, incredible. You know, all, everything that's opposite of futile is what is true of our faith because Jesus is alive. And then, instead of still being in our sins, we are out of our sins. You're no longer in your sins because Jesus is alive. The separation has been taken care of. His life proves your life free from sin. Then verse 18, if Jesus has not been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So these are all the people who have died during the time of the Old Testament. These are people who were trusting God's promises of a coming redeemer, of a coming savior, that he was going to come. And if Jesus didn't come back to life, they perish. All those people perish. But once again, the inverse. If Jesus is alive, they're alive. They don't perish. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If we just walked around and said, oh man, you know, one of the things I love about Jesus, he just says some cool stuff. He's a good moral teacher. Lots of stuff I can tweet. Just, I'm glad that for my social media profile, I'm glad for this life that we got Jesus as a sweet talker. Like, if that's your view of Jesus, you're pitied. You're like, you're, you're most of all to be pitied if you're just looking to him for this life, tips and tricks of, of moral things. He, he never claimed to be merely a moral teacher. The moral teachers actually were the ones who yelled crucify him. Now, verse 20. Okay, come on, this is verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He has been raised from the dead. I mean, I could listen to Amanda sing that song all day long. I don't know if you guys, I mean, that was, and I could watch her sing that song as a woman who believes it, and it moves my heart to believe it as well. Um, he is the first. Jesus is the first fruits. He is the first of those who have died, of all humanity have died. He is the first to lead a new way. He's the first to lead this new way to be human. He's, he's the source of it. He's at the head of it. With sin paid for, with death defeated, verse 21, for as by a man came death. So this is speaking of Adam. So what, what this is telling us is mankind's first rebellion led to all other rebellions. I think one day in heaven at the wedding feast of the Lamb, Adam and Eve will get up and be like, we are so sorry. We had no idea that our turning our back on God have brought all this destruction. And we're so sorry. And we're so glad that that wasn't the end of the story. We're so glad that, that Jesus himself came. We walked with him in the garden. We disobeyed him. And he had every right to walk away from us. And he walked towards us. And things that we, I don't think, I think Adam and Eve probably had their breath taken away at what it would cost for that to be undone. And it was undone. So mankind's first rebellion led to all other rebellions. The penalty of, rebel of rebellion from God is death. Now by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. The possibility of all mankind coming back to life came because Jesus is alive. That a lot of churches have, Collins Christian Church has a sunrise service, and uh, we, we may do that one day, maybe. Just, just the fact of seeing the sunrise, breaking the darkness, is, is what this is about at the, at the biggest of levels. And Lord, I, I ask that you would let the power of verse 22 light up this room. Would the power of verse 22 awaken every one of our souls in this room. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. As Adam was the source and the catalyst for all future death, Jesus alive is the source and the catalyst for all future life. As surely as Jesus is alive, you are made alive. As surely as Jesus is alive, you are made alive. Made alive. You don't make yourself alive. You, you don't speak to yourself, come alive. You don't make yourself do that. You can't save yourself. You can't be a good enough person to right all these wrongs. You can't be a good enough person to make yourself alive. And if you try, you'll get on a hamster wheel that will lead you to a point where you're welcome here. <laughs> And you're welcome here again, and you're welcome here again. Knowing Jesus is alive, his life means that we shall be all made alive. And here's my concern in all of this, too, is you can agree with everything that I've said 
you can recognize that Jesus did these things and you can still be an enemy of God. You can still be rejecting Jesus. You can still be fully responsible for your sin. You can still be separated from God in a way which will lead to an eternal separation known as hell. Satan and his demons know Jesus is alive. You could go up to Satan, the father of lies, <laughs> and say, is Jesus alive? He'll probably say no, because he's the father of lies. But he knows that Jesus is alive. Knowing Jesus is alive is, is, is good in this room. Knowing Jesus is alive is good, but it's dreadfully incomplete when salvation and eternal life are on the line. So like I can look at, at one of these chairs and I, I can know like, okay, I see a chair right here. Um, I need to, so it took me a little bit of information, right? Like I'm not like, oh, that's a cucumber that's brown. It's like, no, I, I know some information to know that's a chair. Looks like a chair. I don't deny that there's a chair in front of me it, and the chair actually looks like it'll hold me up. The worship team's coming on the stage, so they're not like rushing me. Just saying. <laughs> That's it. Heresy. Jason's going to come and shake me up a little bit. Um, as I look at that chair from a distance, it looks like I could sit in it. That chair looks like I could sit in it. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people look at Jesus that way. Man, he looks like a savior. Looks like the savior of the world. There he is. As I look at that chair from a distance, you might be looking at Jesus right now from a distance, agreeing that he's there. Not denying, I'm not an atheist. I see it right in front of me. There it is. But here's the deal. What faith is, faith is sitting down. Because Satan can, can say, oh, there's, that's Jesus right there. What's the difference, right? What faith is, is putting the weight of your life on the chair in a way that if it's not there, you're going to fall on your butt and look really silly. That's how much you're trusting that chair. And what Jesus is saying is like, I can hold you up. Place the, the full, all of your past, all of your present all of your future, sit down. Place your trust on Jesus. His living hands will hold your life all in. That's faith is trusting him all in, knowing that his life will hold you. His life will free you. His life will save you. You're not, you're not resting on some memory, some idea of him. That's why we need him alive today is because he's on the move and he is holding us, freeing us from the penalty of our sin, making you alive. And would every soul in this room trust Jesus this way? Would every one of us trust Jesus this way? Would every soul in this room be made alive through Jesus who is alive? You don't have to do anything other than sit. Trust him. He's done all the work. That might sound easy. Well, it wasn't easy for him. 
for him to open that way that all we need to do is put our trust in him and have everlasting life cost him more than we'll ever know and we'll spend an eternity worshiping him for that. And Jesus, I'm so grateful for your resurrection and thank you that you're alive and well and on the move this morning. And what I wanna encourage you with is if you are giving your life to Jesus today, if you're like, hey, I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna trust. You don't have to like read the Bible from cover to cover. There, there isn't like prerequisites to this class, <laughs> thankfully. Like there's no prerequisites. He, he paid for all of that so that we could come. And in coming, you're adopted into his family. You're now called a son or a daughter of him. You're made alive. Your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. Eternal life is promised to you. You're now his disciple. You're a disciple of his. Uh, Would you let me, would you let someone around you who you know walk with him, let you know, hey, let them know, hey, I've given my life to Jesus today. I'm his, I'm a disciple. This is cool. What do I do now? It's like, man, we get to lock arms with each other. We get to walk together as we embark on this journey together. We get to to help see each other safely home. Does that sound okay? It's a pretty amazing thing to be able to be a part of is his kingdom. So Jesus, I just thank you that you are alive and well. Would you increase our faith? Those who you are inviting to yourself, would they not start constructing all these walls of excuses, would they just come running home to you, giving their life to you, trusting you? Lord, for all of us, would you fuel our hearts for you? Even now as we worship you, would you receive this worship that you deserve from everyone here today? We love you. In your name we pray, amen. Can we stand and worship together? He is risen. Yes.